Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm Katie Martin and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. Today, we're discussing the new European Commission president, Ursula von der Leyen, and the challenges she faces. With me in the studio is Ben Hall, our Europe editor. And down the line from Strasbourg, we're joined by Mehreen Khan, our EU correspondent. Ben, first, tell our listeners how important this role is and what kind of power a Commission president has. Well, it's a vital role in the EU setup. The Commission is a sort of very, it's a unique kind of institution in that it proposes laws. It has a monopoly of proposing laws in the EU. It regulates, it enforces the laws, and it's a sort of intellectual powerhouse of European integration. And the Commission president is obviously an enormously powerful role, and it's getting probably more so as the Commission has got bigger over time. The role of the president and the leadership that the president gives has got more and more important. That said, the Commission's power has diminished in recent years, partly because The areas where the EU has been most active, for example, the Eurozone crisis or immigration are areas where national governments are in control and the Commission has less power. So that's the split between the Commission and the Council, which is the government heads of state, right? Yeah, the Council has become arguably the most powerful of all the EU institutions and is shaping the future direction of the bloc. Mm. So, Mehreen, tell us a bit about Ms. von der Leyen. I hope I'm pronouncing her name properly. I mean, what's her background and what are the strengths and attributes that she's expected to bring to the role? I think to a lot of people in Strasbourg and Brussels, at least, she's a bit of an unknown quantity, but Germans will know her best. She is the longest serving cabinet minister under Angela Merkel. She started when Merkel picked up her chancellorship and did prominent roles like being the family's minister. She also has seven children. And we see a little bit of that imprint very quickly so far in some of the policies that she's announced, which include things like a poverty welfare fund for children who are living under conditions below poverty. So she's really playing up the sort of personal aspects. She was born in Brussels. Her father was a diplomat. She speaks fluent French. And she's spoken about coming back to Europe in this job. But actually, if you've been around EU policymaking or if you've been an MEP, they probably don't know her so well because her most recent role was as a defence minister, which she would have been around in the sort of NATO sphere. But in terms of the sort of Brussels day to day, we're not quite sure what kind of commission president she's going to be. And she's been quite clever and not really telling us what type of commission president she's going to be. Her line so far is that I've basically had 13 days since I was appointed in sort of quite surprise circumstances. And therefore, she's told us a little bit about what she wants to do, things on gender and climate, but on the really big stuff, how she wants to talk to Donald Trump, what she wants to do with EU competition or industrial policy. These are sort of blank spaces that she's going to have to fill for the next couple of months before her commission formally starts office on November the 1st. How is her appointment seen in Germany? I mean, is she a surprise appointment from that point of view? Definitely. There's been a very virulent reaction from the centre-left in Germany, who are also the coalition partners. So von der Leyen is part of Angela Merkel's Conservative Party. The sort of gripe that the centre-left have is that she wasn't a lead candidate in the commission race. So she didn't campaign along about three or four other candidates who did. And another German, Manfred Weber, was very prominent in the campaign as the centre-right candidate. So von der Leyen comes with a lot of German baggage. She's been quite clever so far in some of the policies that she's announced are not particularly German. German, they don't have a very German imprint. For example, she wants something like a European unemployment reinsurance fund, which is not something that a German finance minister would ever want to propose for Europe. So I guess what she's trying to do is not really act so much like a a centre-right or a German commission president so far, because her job is actually to win allies across the aisle, mainly on the left and the Greens. 
So what is the process by which she was chosen? Who did she have to win over? And are there any particular interest groups or causes that are likely to have her support? She was the pick of the European government. So we had a sort of marathon three or four days in Brussels where they all sat around a table trying to fill at least four posts. And von der Leyen's name emerged when we were at a pretty desperate point in the talks and they looked like they would all break down. And Emmanuel Macron suggested her as the centre-right candidate and as another German. And so she quickly then emerged and the package sort of fell into place very quickly. In Strasbourg for the MEPs, she's very much still seen as the European Council's candidate. So she has to win over these MEPs. She managed to do that on Tuesday when she just squeaked her confirmation vote by a majority of nine. And now she's going to spend the rest of the summer sort of trying to build what she's called so far a pro-EU majority. But what she really needs to do is win over people like the Greens and more of the centre-left and the sort of progressive centrists in the parliament because she doesn't want to be seen as a candidate who has been brought to office by governments who include people like Hungary's Viktor Orban and his MEPs or Poland's Conservative Law and Justice Party. So her challenge really starts now. And we'll know whether she manages it in October when her entire commission, the college as it's called, is also going to be voted on in the parliament. It'll be interesting to see whether her majority is slightly bigger when the entire commission comes on board. So if she manages to boost that majority, then you could probably say she's done a good job. So as you mentioned, it was a close call. It was a margin of nine. Will that make it harder for her to get things done or will we not know that really until October? The nine majority is the slimmest that any European Commission president has had since they've been asked to be voted on in the parliament. So on the face of it, it looks like she's got a pretty tough task. In practice, she's the European Commission president and the nature of the way the system works is the Commission will come up with initiatives and they have to be approved in the Council and the Parliament. I think it's fair to say that should she put forward lots of green, environmentally friendly policies, they will not get voted down by the Green Party in the Parliament. It'd be unlikely if they sort of shot themselves in the foot just because they object to the way that she was appointed. So when it comes to the individual policies, there's always different coalitions and constellations in the parliament, which means you can get them through. However, because we're still at the very, very early stages of her presidency, she will still need to sort of be everything to everyone for a while. But there's absolutely no sense that she's predetermined to be a weak commission president because of what's happened in the last week. So she's got a difficult path ahead of her. But while she's doing that, I mean, Ben, what are the most pressing challenges she has to face? Mehreen's already mentioned Donald Trump. What's her priority list? Well, she probably would prefer not to be spending time on it, but Brexit's obviously one of the big ones, um, given the October the 31st deadline. She may, of course, have to deal with the aftermath of a no deal, coordinating the EU27's response to that. She may, of course, be looking at a kind of an extension to the process or changes to the withdrawal agreement or the political declaration. So she will have to manage that process. And then, of course, the big question of assuming there is an agreement to leave or a no deal, you know, what happens afterwards and what kind of relationship the EU27 have with Britain. So that's obviously going to be a major, major task for her. I mean, I would say that as well as the green agenda, which Mehreen has already talked about, which she has really outlined quite an ambitious plan on, I, I would say there are two things that she really has to do. One is to stand up for Europe and defend the global trading system and make sure that Europe doesn't get squeezed in between the US and China and caught up in, in Trump's trade war any more than it is already. And then the second one is a sort of more strategic thing, which is 
trying to develop a proper kind of industrial strategy for Europe, making the most of its research and science base and using the tools that are available to the EU to steer European industry in a more technologically advanced way that can survive this kind of ferocious competition from American tech companies and Chinese state-owned companies. I mean, barring a pretty severe turnaround, it doesn't look like she's going to have to deal with the debt crisis, but she may well have to deal with a fairly severe economic slowdown. You know, how does that affect her? I mean, I think you're right. I think in a way, commission presidencies or any kind of EU leadership, I suppose, is shaped by the crises you have to deal with, um, as we've seen over the last recent years. Yes, I mean, you could imagine a kind of financial crisis or debt crisis with Italy, although the Eurosceptic government there seems to be sort of pulling back from that gradually. I would have thought dealing with a slowdown when there aren't that many tools to try and combat it could be a big challenge for her and maybe one of her roles, which will be ironic, arguably for a German conservative, will be to try and coordinate some kind of fiscal stimulus across the block. Yeah, good luck with that. Good luck with that one. But I think, going back to what Mecherin was saying, the French are sort of cock-a-hoop with this appointment because they think she's the most French-thinking person you could possibly imagine in this post coming from Germany. And so I think they have quite high hopes that she will be quite unconventional in a German sense. You mentioned the B word, Brexit. I mean, how likely is it that she would acquiesce to new demands from the UK, particularly if we end up with Boris Johnson as Prime Minister? Do you think she's going to want to budge or do you think she's going to stick to the line that the EU has been incredibly consistent with, which is, we are not moving, the deal is the deal, you can either accept it or not? To be honest, we don't really know because we don't know that much about what she thinks on many things. My hunch is that it'll be continuity. She will stick with the line that the Commission has taken, which of course is the EU 27's line too, and I don't think she would want to defy that. I mean, I suppose the one thing you might think about her is that she's pragmatic. She will be perhaps supportive of Britain, not want to push them over the cliff, give them more time if they want it. It's pretty much what we've already got. But I mean, you could have imagined somebody in that position who would have been harsher towards Britain. I suspect it will be continuity. Well, thanks, Ben and Mehreen, and thank you all for listening. Don't forget, if you missed our recent episodes on the new space race, workplace stress, or Europe's attempts to save the Iran nuclear deal, you can find them all on the usual podcast platforms. 